Hello world, welcome to today's episode of the podcast, brought to you by Three Moons. Check them out on all the social medias, that's three, numeral, moons, spelt, moons. Um, on today's episode, uh, we have Andrew Day. He was a very interesting human being, to say the least, to talk to. Um, I really enjoyed it, like most of the time. Uh, I hope you enjoy it too. Cheers. Don't forget we've got a YouTube channel too. Look it up. All right. Um, thanks for coming on. No worries, mate. And I will get you to introduce yourself first thing. Uh, so, uh, right. You, just what you do. Um, hobbies. Hobbies is a good one. Hobbies uh, is the one. Yeah. That's where the action is. Um, <laughs> also, a bit about what you've done in the past. Like you mentioned, you're in the army and that sort of thing. I did not know that. So, uh, yeah. Righto. Take it away. All right. So, look, I'm Andrew, Andrew Day. Uh, I'm someone who has a wide variety of interests, I guess. Currently employed by Queensland Health. Um, my official title there is a team leader, but I, I assess old people, so people over the age of 65 who are needing assistance. Right. So my professional background, though, to get into that role is psychology. So I'm, you know, by job title, I guess I'm a psychologist. Okay. But I'm not that by person. So I'm a person first. Job title comes way down the track. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, look, I'm married, got a couple of kids, two daughters, keep me pretty busy. That's where I spend most of my spare time, I suppose, is hanging out with those two. And I... I haven't always been a psychologist professionally. I was a soldier beforehand. I did military work for 10 years, which was plenty long enough. Soldier as as what? What were you? Uh, I was in Signals Corps. Right. So hardly ever used the radio directly though. So okay. <laughs> I was in electronic warfare, so I collected as opposed to transmitted. Electronic warfare. Yeah. So transmitted what exactly? No, I collected information. Collected, so Yeah. More than anything else. So yeah, right. basically, if stuff's going on over the other side there, you want to catch what's going on in their transmissions. Electronic warfare is a, warfare is a good way to do that. So you're just listening in to listening the enemy, in, so to speak. Disrupting, yeah. that sort of stuff, yeah. yeah right. But that's that's part and parcel of most modern warfare these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd imagine it would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my area of interest, I suppose, has always been in language. Okay. So you can kind of see that if you grow up in a small country town... And you go, go to high school. I, I grew up in Childers. Uh-huh. Um, not too many foreign languages available in a small country town high school. Couldn't imagine there would be. No, no. no. I, but, grew up, yeah. I grew up here. I had uh, access to Japanese. Mm-hmm. Mm, that was about it. Yep. Really? And that's uh, like Toowoomba's fair. Yeah. They're multiple, you know, <laughs> bigger than Childers. It's, yeah. So Childers, I think at the time had about 1,500. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, not, were, not at the school, I mean population. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think there was that at my school at one stage. Yeah, so, mm. yeah, I have no doubt. So yeah, small country town. I was always pretty hopeless at numbers and maths and that sort of stuff, but I had a real interest in language and so I couldn't really pursue that in my high school. And coming from a lower socioeconomic family, no one had ever even heard of a university, let alone what one was about. I was the first kid in the family to go to year 12 and that was pretty difficult to convince my parents not to kick me out at the end of year 10 and go off and get an apprenticeship because that's not what I was interested in doing. And me too. But, you know, I did it. I, and 
subsequently applied for uni but never went for successive years. I just was working. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I enjoyed working because it was, you know, it was interesting. Yeah. But in the end, I knew that I would enlist at some point. And you always had that idea? Well, yes. In the end, it was how I knew I could get a second language paid for. Yeah, right. But so you were really interested in learning a second language. Yeah, well, at I, least. I wanted to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, what language did you learn first up? Well, it's a bit of a journey because you enlist and then you don't have any say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> bad luck. So it took me about five years to get through to the point where I was considered for a language course and I went off and learned Indonesian. But prior to do, doing that, I did go to PNG um, before enlisting and picked up a fair go at the Melanesian pigeon there, which was pretty easy. Yeah, right. But to do well is difficult, but to get by is all right. You know any Spanish? Oh, not really, no. <laughs> Worst luck. It was on the list, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to learn Spanish at the moment. Uh, good to you, uh, Yeah, it's, it's good uh, for you. Yes, it's, definitely it is. Yeah. It makes you think. It does. And that's that touching on language is actually pretty important for what we might talk about today because language is really important when it comes to your mental health. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. How so? Ah, well. Yeah, go, go straight into it. it well... How we hear and interpret and understand largely is language. So you hear something, you interpret it, and based on your understandings of all of that information about that structure of, you know, someone's sentences, someone's vocab and how they put that together, it has an impact on you. And how you understand and then transmit your own information out there to the world is the same thing for someone else. So how we take on language and then work our way through our you know day-to-day lives language is really important for that so so if, hmm. so if you're speaking to me and i'm taking it on as if i'm a negative sort of a person everything you say is going to be negative well or have a negative twist to it is that potentially but it's yeah. it's bigger that's you know oh, it, oh, yeah, yeah. Boiled, boiled right down. boiled right down well it's probably more about how we interpret the world around us and uh-huh. And how we engage and uh, communicate with others. Language is a key part of that. Uh-huh. But when it comes to language, language acquisition, especially a second language learning as an adult, it has an impact on your brain function. Uh-huh. So for me, following that interest in language and the total disinterest in numbers, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. suck at numbers, yeah. I can do it. I can do numbers. I just am really slow at it. So it's an area of development for me. If I wanted to pay attention to it and work on it, I'm sure I could get the hang of it. I just don't have an interest. I have an interest in language. And if you are pursuing language development as an adult in particular, it changes your perspective on language. Learning a language properly means you're going to learn culture. Mm -hmm. So if you want to learn about another culture really well, Mm -hmm. go pick up their language because that has more impact on how, how well you speak. Yeah. So, but that has about, you know, it impacts on your um, your perspectives of others. Uh-huh. Because you pull away from a, um, or how we speak here in Australia because we immediately identify how we speak. Well, that means you and me, right? Yeah. But how they speak. So you've got a line of division, we and them. Yes. <laughs> Us yes. and them. But if you are able to go you and me and me and them, so you are you, you can bridge that divide because you have insight into how their brain function is yeah. because their language and culture really drives that. 
So if you can pick that up, yeah, it yeah, makes it, it it shifts your perspective on others. Yeah, so people talk about how you know Western cultures are very individualistic, right? Where me, 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 me. Our language gives us away on that. We mm-hmm. are active speakers. So we say, I went to, yeah, I did whatever. Other languages don't do that. Other cultures don't do that. This was done by me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, okay. I bit the dog. The dog. So, sorry. How do I put that together? I was bitten by the dog. Right. So there's there's an active and passive yeah. way to say that. Yeah. So I don't want to get too stuck on the technical stuff, but if you if you want to get a perspective, going off and learning another language from a culture that you're interested in really helps with that perspective shift. Yeah. So that's. I, I do know what you're saying because um, with Spanish, like mm. I said, I'm trying to learn that. Yeah. And everything's opposite. It's not a green shirt. It's a shirt green. Yeah. That's so right. it's just like things like that. That Word order is pretty important. It's very important. Shifts the focus. Absolutely. Yep. And so that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So yeah, language so and mental health and how we relate. If you can look at how you're putting your, your world together in your language, uh-huh. it can really give you insight on how you go about things. So when I'm doing psychology stuff, I am really interested yeah. in hearing someone speak, not just for their intonation or whatever, mm-hmm. that's pretty important, but also what words are going to select. Because, yep. you know, have a good thesaurus sitting next to you, you can find more than one way, one way to say everything, right? Yeah. Sure. So, And how people do that gives you clues on how they perceive. Uh-huh. And, of course, how you're perceiving them is yeah. your own relational frame in there, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So how do you how do you separate as as a psychologist how do you separate that how do you, like from your perception to what they are actually trying to tell you? Uh, look, that's pretty complicated. I bet it because is. <laughs> you can't just come off the street and say, "Look, in in six months, I'm going to learn how to do this thing." Oh God, no. It, the 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 way people become professional practicing psychologists involves. It's a supervision. Mm-hmm. So you go off and you do your minimum of six to eight years worth of study mm-hmm. and then you're supervised. So people who are skilled guide you. And that's important. Yeah. And that, interestingly, has an overlap into some of the other stuff that I talk about with the archery. So for me, what I've done basically is I've taken all my study, my interest in language, some of my military experience, my hobbies, and put it all together in this way that I think would be very useful, particularly for men, but it might be applicable to women. I'm not playing in that space, so I don't really know, on how to have better mental health overall. So, which is a bit big can of worms there. And, and I want to be very clear, it's not the answer. There is no the answer for any of this. It no. is part of the solution for some people, no doubt but it won't work for everyone. Yes, yeah, same as everything, though. No? Yeah, and got a joke for you. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, hang on, I've got to open this window first. Yeah, yeah, no worries. No worries. Yep. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, and that's the same for us. Like, people who complain that their psychologist didn't help them... Didn't want to do anything Well, it's not... that. Actually, that's not how it works. The psychologist isn't there to help you. You have to want to be helped and get to the point where you are willing to do the do part for yourself. Uh And that's ownership. So you've got to have some ownership in that. 
You can't rock up and say, oh, they didn't help me. They were hopeless. That just tells everyone about you. You have done psychedelics? <laughs> no. You haven't? No. <laughs> Clean as a whistle across the board. You're talking to the most straight dude you'll ever meet. Yeah, really? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, right. Because it's crazy because what you just said, like with uh, the, the therapist, is basically what most proponents of psychedelic medicines, mushrooms and so on, um, they say the same thing. Mm. It will show you, basically show you, bring to light what's wrong, where you need to work on your personality and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, it's not going to fix you. No. You have to fix you. No, so we have to take ownership over what we're doing. Yeah. and, and to, But to get to that point where you can see that, uh, that's pretty hard. <laughs> that's not easy. So, sure, you might rock up and see Joe Blog psychologist and they might not suit you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's totally legit. But that's no one's fault. So no. we don't need to have a blame thing here at all. So if you turn up and it's not working, well, that's okay. Find a different one. Everyone will mesh with someone different. And if you don't get on and if you, can't, you don't develop what they call therap- therapeutic rapport, uh-huh. that's no one's fault necessarily. Sure, both parties might have a bit to learn about how they engage, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, I might have 200 people on my list for the year or whatever. It doesn't matter. I might only really engage well or have that therapeutic uh-huh. rapport with some of them. Yeah. The others I might not ever succeed with, but that's okay. There are plenty of other psychologists out there who are definitely very good. And you just refer them? I would refer. Yeah. Absolutely. I can see it's not working for us. That's okay. Let's talk about how we might make that different. Can you can you sort of pick? Nah. Nah? Nah. No, I wouldn't assume that I can do that. No, I mean, like, could you not, not to say pick? So, um, I mean, like, say I come to you, we... No good. Yeah. Can you sort of tell who who I would be good with from your pool of oh, people that you know? I could probably say here's a here's a few people to try. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm not doing a lot of that type of work right now. Yeah. My main role right now is doing team leader roles, you know, assessing older people, yeah. which yeah. is fantastic. But yeah. my definite interest is in moving a psychology practice from the historic view of uh-huh. going to lie on the couch and have uh-huh. someone, you know, listen to your stories. Because yeah, that's a terrible view that movies basically Yeah, have. I know. I, yeah. I've, I've been to a psychologist myself, mm. um, had a, had to deal with depression, mm. and it was killing me. Yeah. Basically, it was killing me. Yeah. Um, and it was nothing like what I thought. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Completely different. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah, the, the perception of what other people doing their job yeah. is almost never right. My psychologist was too nice, though. She oh, yeah? Was, she was too nice. I too knew, nice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> she, she seriously was. She was way too nice. Yeah. Um, it probably works with a lot of people, like you're saying. Mm. probably works with a lot of people, but for me, I, I did not need a, a gentle touch, I guess you could call it. Mm. I need someone to tell me to wake up to myself. Not in those words, but... Yeah. yeah. In a manner. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's a that's a difficult balance for anyone. Yeah, absolutely. You know? How be. do you know? Like, would be. Yeah. Just say the wrong thing to the wrong person, and yeah, you don't see them again because <laughs> there's issues. consequences. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you know that's just all very interesting, and really, there's no there's no one size fits all no. to this. In fact, if you take that approach, it's a one size fits no one. Yeah. And yeah. So I I would like to have a better way of filtering people who are more suitable to what I'm interested in as, a, you know, someone so what, who's 
So what's the plan? How do you do that? I don't know. You don't know? No, no, no idea. <laughs> there's lots of people out there and everyone has different motives. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I'm sure there's a percentage of psychologists who are definitely there for the cash, whatever, good on them. It's a job. It pays the bills. No worries. And there are others who are not like that. Uh-huh. And that's not a distinction for, you know, better or worse or good or bad. We all got to earn some money. Uh-huh. We have to live, right? But for me, I think that as a society as a whole, we could probably move away in some areas to thinking that things like anxiety and depression are all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. They are not. Mm-mm. They are part of the human condition. And on any For given sure. day, all of us can have symptoms consistent with those things. Absolutely. It's what we do that matters. Yes. And so for me, I like to take things outside. If you take it outside into a natural environment, we are going to function better generally. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. Completely agree. Some people need the room, some people need the chair, and some people need that one-on-one direction, whatever. That's not my, where I'm interested in. What but I'm interested in is, is separate to that. Yeah, okay, so let's get into that. Definitely, let's get into that. So I find there is definitely something about just being outside. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be in the woods. Just being out in yeah. your backyard yep. instead of cooped up in your bedroom or something, is, yeah. it's, it's medicine itself. Maybe not that strong. Maybe medicine's too. No, you're too right. Of word, but it is. Yeah, it's, there's <laughs> totally. something about it. Absolutely, there is. there is something about it. And so, over the past you know, probably ten years, I've been doing a lot of reading. I read a lot of stuff. I do. I read a lot of studies and research, and it's all very interesting. But how do you take that scientific method mm-hmm. and operationalize it into meaningful engagement for another person to help them find their way? And that's where the science and the practice of psychology, that's pretty tricky. Mm. So I stumbled across an idea, mm-hmm. right, more or less. So in my 10 years in the military, I spent a fair bit of time away, a bit of active service, lots of deployment, lots of you know, exercise, lots of engaging with other people in a meaningful way, complex, stressful, whatever. There's lots of loss, lots of, you know, struggle, but you're always surrounded by another person, group of people who are with you and you're doing this thing. And in that 10-year period, you, de- you know, I developed some pretty meaningful relationships with other people, long-term, genuine, trusting relationships, mm-hmm. friends, mm-hmm. essentially. Sure, yeah, like in any organisation, there's a bunch of clowns in there you wouldn't want to spend your time with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Any time. But in there, there are people who are definitely your people. Mm-hmm. So that transition then from belonging and having a common goal and training together and you know going off and doing army stuff together, you do develop bonds that are, are strong. But when you discharge, all of that goes away. Mm-hmm. So you're no longer part of something. And so for the transition from military life to civilian life, it's not just about, oh, you know, I saw stuff or I did stuff and I feel really bad. That is part of it for some people, but it's also about the loss of belonging. That's pretty important. So we don't have that sense of connection anymore. It just gets removed. And so transitioning from army life to civilian life can be really difficult just because you don't belong anymore. And, you know, you might have a certain way of looking at the world now that makes it pretty difficult to be a civvy. (laughs) But it's not terrible. So transitioning is something that's 
challenging, no matter how successful you may or may not have been in the military, transitioning presents a challenge. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate in that I transitioned straight to work, straight into a different role. I was finishing studies, all of that sort of thing. And it all really worked well for me. But for a lot of people, it doesn't. It does not. People re-enlist left, right and centre. People fall on their face. They fail at it. Fail is probably not the right word, but they don't succeed Mm -hmm. initially and it can be really challenging. So part of what worked for me was before going into the Army, I used to do a bit of archery with my family mainly, Mm -hmm. but I went back to it at some point. And because I'd done the psych study, I was into a bit of mindfulness, which is part of what I would see is pretty important for all of us. I discovered for me that archery was one of the most mindful activities I'd come across that also engaged me physically. And so I started looking at that. And so I was off you know, at the archery club doing archery. Felt like I was pretty good at it in the end, but I was very average. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can shoot straight if it's just there, but it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of practice that goes into it. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's interesting. It's like any physical thing. There's a lot of mind game that goes into doing well in archery. And so if you are sitting there doing archery, you are also exercising your brain really well. So to take that that one step further, it's all well and good to, you know, spend time outside shooting sticks at a target way over yeah, there. Yeah. What else is there? So for me, I was I've, have always been interested in chasing down my own food. Yeah. So, yeah, I do hunt with a bow uh-huh. for food. I don't hunt for trophies. I don't begrudge people going trophy hunting, whatever. But are you going to eat it? Yeah. You better eat it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I've recently become interested in hunting. That's the whole reason that I talked to Ian. Ian. Yep. Um, that that guy right there, Cameron Haynes. Cam Haynes, yep. Yeah. Um, so I heard him on Joe Rogan's podcast because yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. listens to Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, but then I've seen a couple of things. I started watching Meat Eater and I – Yeah. And I sort of – I was sort of – Getting the gist of what they're talking about. Isn't there an interesting philosophy that comes through Meat Eater? Yeah. But that's, he is not alone. No. That man has had many generations come before him who think the same. Yeah. And I reckon, technical term, I reckon, that if you spend time hunting, it's not about the animals in the end. What actually occurs, I'll tell you a story. It's like this. Yeah, go. Well, it's not really a story. It's development. Uh-huh. So when you first start hunting, you think you want to get that animal. You're out there to get that thing and get it on the ground and be successful at a hunt. That's it. I got it and I'm going to eat good. But actually what happens is after a period of time, it is not about that in any way. You might hunt and not see a thing. Ten hunts running. It still doesn't matter. It makes no difference. It's still successful because you're out there. You're doing that thing that we are actually meant to do, mm. which is roam around and look. I've recently came across this idea. It's actually, I call it range and reflect. So if you want to go and get a thesaurus and look up range, there's lots of definitions for that. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And they're all useful in this context. Okay. If you want to range around, and in you know, where I grew up, if you went out for a range, you were out there looking in your environment. Yep. Your natural boundaries, your limits. You went off and had a look around. You explored. You went to see how far it is from A to B. It's a range. Yep. How far can you go? That's your range. So, but then while you're doing that, you're actually reflecting. So there's a concept there of range and reflect. That means that when you go hunting, 
what you're doing is you are engaging in your natural environment. You are out there giving your brain what it needs because you're observing, you're taking in every sound, every scent, every movement of your own, you monitor that. Every step you take, if you are bow hunting in particular, Mm -hmm. we're not talking about shooting. So let's draw a line there. We are not talking about I'm going to go shooting on the weekend because that's not me. This is actually I'm going hunting with the – I'm walking with intent Mm -hmm. to take an animal for food. If I get the animal for food in the end, I don't care. It's the intent part. So I am out there deliberately looking at every single movement I make, every step I take, every sound that comes out, every smell I can get, all of it. And it's purposeful. It's mindful, right? Yeah. So if you want to be a successful hunter, you better be good at mindfulness. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what led me to put it all together. So I discovered that when I was hunting, and I don't sit and wait for animals, I go and look for them. Yeah, yeah. I'm actively engaging in that. Uh-huh. That means I'm using both sides of my brain effectively. I'm giving myself plenty of opportunity to be mindful about what it is that I'm doing physically, mentally, and all of the things that are going on around me. The moment I get distracted by my thinking Uh about that argument that I was having the other day, when I'm out hunting, that's the moment I should have been paying attention because then I see a deer's tail nicking off over the hill over there. I should have been on on my game. So successive (laughs) repetitions of doing that, you get better and better and better at paying attention to now. And that's what mindfulness is all about paying attention to right now and letting the other stuff just go by. Yeah. So it's like meditating. It is. And you've got a sharp pointy stick but in your hand, you're going to go and get an animal. So It's like <laughs> active meditating. Well, it kind of is. So, yeah. but, but there's more to it. So the more you push yeah, on this yeah, little yeah. topic, the, the bigger and bigger it becomes and the more juicy it becomes for a mental health perspective. So someone who has decided to go bow hunting, mm-hmm. you don't want to be a clown. You don't want to be some person who goes out there who's not skilled hasn't got the right gear, hasn't got the right mindset, those people bring it all into disrepute. It, mm-hmm. I, I will not engage with those people. What I want is someone who has said, yep, I'm going to get good at this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to shoot straight out to this distance that's reasonable. What's that distance? Well, depends on who you are. 40 metres? Tops. I'm no Cam Haynes, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not out there taking big shots at things that are far, far away because to me that's not bow hunting. He, he says when he's hunting that he, he'll he'll go 50, uh, 50 yards, I think. Yeah. So, so only just over 45 metres, yeah. really. But that's a, that's a long flight time. Oh, definitely. With a, with a stick, it's a long time. And a, and a live animal with reaction times and vision abilities that far outweigh ours. So you want to be on your game. So if you want to be a bow hunter, you're getting organised. You are deliberately changing your behaviour. Mm-hmm. You're saying, yep. I'm making the decision to go off and chase after animals with a sharp, pointy stick. I want to get that right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to stuff it up for them because that's bad. Yeah, that would be terrible. Right? So you've got to practice. Mm-hmm. You've got to get really good at what you're doing, confident with your gear, confident with your ability, and not overconfident with your ability. You also then have to have your gear prepped. You've got to be on your game with how to sharpen those broadheads. You've got to get them really good. You want to make sure that you can stalk. Once you get the animal down, if you're ever that lucky, because mm-hmm. bow hunting's not like that, yeah, yeah. it's not shooting. <laughs> you want to be able to process that animal effectively and not waste it. Yeah, definitely. If you're going to go out there and kill it, you better eat it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's got to be used for purpose. Otherwise, it's not really what I'm in for, into. So you're making a commitment. You are agreeing to take an ethical shot 
on an animal that you are choosing on your terms and your terms, if you do it right, you've got to be respectful for yourself. You've got to be honest with what you can and can't do. And so all of that causes a reflection. So you are thinking about who you are and why you're going about your business. It also gives you an opportunity. So if you are ever lucky enough to get to the point when you're bow hunting to be able to take a shot, that's a decision point in itself. Yeah, for sure. Are you close enough? Is the animal There's lots of decisions right there? <laughs> so just, decision just points are interesting. About it. Well, it, they're very interesting. Decision points when you're hunting make or break you, because if you make the wrong decision, you you miss your chance. Yeah, which is awesome. But what? It is awesome. It's really good to to stuff it up because it gives you opportunity to learn about it. As long as the right sort of stuff up. You yeah. Want to gut shot or nothing? No, we're not doing that. No. But you know. Life isn't perfect, and it doesn't matter how well prepared you are. There are going to be times when things do go wrong, and that's true no matter what you're doing. You don't want to crash your car either. No. But people do it. Absolutely. With terrible consequences every day. Mm -hmm. And sure, it's easy to rationalise one and not the other, except it shouldn't be. No, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a a lot in there. So let's let's back up a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. If you decide that you're going to go bow hunting, you're making a commitment. You're making a commitment to hunt ethically. And you're also committing to something that's pretty darn difficult. Yeah. Because the physical control it takes to stalk something like, just say deer. Yeah. Yeah, Everyone loves deer. Yeah, let's go with the deer. Deer, they're tasty. Let's just be honest. Yeah. But they are hard to hunt because they are better than us in every way. (laughs) They're faster. They have better vision. They have better hearing, and they are not stupid. Because <laughs> they have to be, right? They, well, they didn't survive because they're stupid. No, <laughs> they survive because exactly. they are on their game. Yeah, there's, there's fucking lions and shit hunting them as well. And yep. they're way better predators than we are. That's right. So, so we have to... Hence the stick. That's right. Sharp pointy <laughs> stick, you know. Projectile weapons, mate. <laughs> Change the game. So... If you're doing that, you're making that, like I said, it's a commitment to, to, to hunt ethically, safely, but you're also saying, yep, I'm physically fit enough. Mm-hmm. I'm doing my homework. I'm getting organised. I'm getting skilled before I even think about drawing back on an animal. I want to be able to be good at what I'm doing. And so someone who's doing that is disciplined, mm-hmm. but you're exploring yourself too. So I said before about decision points. If you want to draw back on an animal and shoot it with a bow, you want to be making that decision for the right reasons for yourself because you have to live with it. And, and that's probably a big decision too. Yeah. Can, not just can you fit. Can capable, you shoot straight, can, but, yeah, but can you but decide? Can you do, can you take that thing's life is yeah. what I was talking about. That's right. And, and that's why it's, it's really useful, particularly for blokes, to be able to say, well, look, I'm going to think about what I'm doing. Mm. I'm going to decide what I'm doing or I'm going to decide not to do that. I can say that, you know, I've had more times where I've gotten close enough to take a deer with a bow and not even knock the arrow because the angle of the deer was wrong. Yeah. It's frustrating. Absolutely. but it's And you want to shoot it because you want to eat it because it's just perfect one, but you can't because its angles are all wrong for archery. And that's where the discipline... Discipline. Again. Then you've got to be honest with yourself. You have to respect your, your, your own decision because if you take that and you stuff it up and it nicks off... You don't want to live with that. No. And you don't want to be doing that. That's definitely something that I don't think many people could live with. But think about the the upside of making the decision to not act on that. You feel good about that Mm. because it's hard. 
mm. takes an element of willpower. So in the moment, it probably feels like shit. But I mean, I, I'm yet to actually say. Off. Yeah, I'm yet to say it feels terrible to decide. But it, maybe, it, maybe. But feels, it's frustrating. Yeah, because you've done yeah. the work. You've been lucky. The wind's been with you. They haven't seen you when you, you know, moved when you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Because mm-hmm. normally the other fifty times they do the runner. Yeah. <laughs> but so so sitting with those decisions actually is really important for us yeah because without getting too bogged now go on yeah Keep look life begins going. in low range they say doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. so if you think about how our brains function no one really has a good beat on that sure there's lots of good science and we're getting better at it but there's still room for yeah. us to understand for sure so the left side and right side of our brain, that's a can of worms I'm not going to go into. Mm-hmm. But it's important to understand that it's not like popular science says so. Popular science would say that they're independent and they, you know, your left brain or your right brain. Ah, bull. That's really? It. Yeah, it's bull. That's how I've always... I know, because that's what we were told, right? Yeah. Except well, yes. more and more we're seeing that there's overlap and it's really interesting, the interplay between the left side and the right side of our brain all the time. And it's complicated. Oh, yeah. Brain's complicated. It is. But for me, in this context, if you go out hunting, what you're doing is you're agreeing to mollify the right side of your brain because it's where the action happens for anxiety, anger, emotional responses to stuff. Uh It takes in the broader the broader environmental stuff. So if you were looking for things, it's that bit. Uh-huh. That's the bit that pulls it out. When it's engaged doing that, it can't be anxious. Yeah. Right? So what happens is if you engage that right side of your brain out there hunting, actively seeking what it is that you're looking for in a natural setting, you're giving that side of the brain exactly what it's designed for. Natural environment, cool uh-huh. thing to look at, looking for something to eat, it makes space then for the left side to do what it's meant to do, which is process information. It's yeah, really right. interesting. Yeah. So you might take in the broader picture with your with the right side, uh-huh. but then you're pulling out the finer details and the decision-making that's going on more in the left side than the right. And so working together is actually pretty important because what happens if you are someone who has anxiety in particular, mm-hmm. you are someone who has you know, an elevated heart rate, your breathing rate's higher, you're not thinking clearly, the right side of your brain is giving you the runaround, you've got adrenaline in your system, and it's difficult to think. Where's the language centre really? It's on that side over there on the left. You can't access it. You ever said something stupid when you're angry? God damn it. No, not me. Everybody. I barely speak when I'm angry. (laughs) Yeah, because that right side is giving you the runaround. Yeah. But if you engage that in this way, it makes room for it to settle. You are deliberately controlling that side by giving it what it needs, which is stimulation in a natural setting. And then it makes room for the left side to do its thing, which is just process stuff. Gives you a better handle. So pulling that back a step, right? That's broad yeah, yeah. caveat, broad generalizations. It sounds good, but it's interesting. I liked it. And yeah, and there's a lot there's a lot more room there for that to to develop. That's only ideas at the moment. Uh-huh. But if you go, It makes sense. Yes. The right side is also responsible for how well we socialize. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So if you sure. if you want to go hunting, yeah, Cam and his mates, yeah. I'll probably hunt on their own, whatever, because they're good. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
but there's so much that has gone on before that we don't see. Mm. Yeah, so sure. if you want to be a, if you want to develop as a hunter, getting mentored is where the action is. If you think about tribal people back in the day, we hunted as groups, man. Yeah. And when you go hunting like that and you engage that right side like that, it opens you to being more reflective and have more empathy for those around you. You socialise to that group. So when you go hunting together, you open the doorway to getting on with others. Mm-hmm. So I actually have more to say about that in, in a different way. Yeah. But it also means then that it gives you room to engage sensibly with the left side. So I noticed when I took fellas hunting, bow hunting, mm-hmm. we would walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and talk. Holy God, these dudes who wouldn't talk to anybody would tell me stuff. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I didn't have to say anything. I'm, so, not, I'm not out there psychologizing the universe. I'm just saying that when I noticed this thing, people would go and engage hunting. That's very therapeutic. Yeah, well, Ian said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's not a psychologist. He's an IT dude. Yeah. And, but he said the same thing. It's true. He, he, I think his exact words to me were, um, when you eventually come out, you'd be surprised what you talk about sitting around a bonfire. Yep. Or something along them. It's lines. the same. It's that's it. Him and I have talked about this for a few times. It's exactly what happens. Yeah. When you are engaged in this way, you are allowing all of your brain function its way. That's really interesting. Yeah. So modern, so it's modern society. Mm-hmm. We're all teched up. Mm-hmm. No one even knows how to hunt. Well, it's that we can't. So society says, you know, you've got to have a phone, got to have a computer. You've got to be engaged. You've got to do, do. Do, do, do. There's no room, man. Pay attention to this. No, pay attention to that. We've got conflicting things that grab us all the time, and it's usually Uh screen-based. Today's society. Absolutely. And there's emotional content in there that pulls us in. It charges us up and makes us want to look more. That's not really helping. So what this does, this idea of, well, you put the tech away and you go and you give your brain its way, which is walking around in the scrub range and reflect, right? You can send... Sorry, spend that time sending all of the right messages in your brain. It gives you that opportunity to settle things down on the right side, give you time on the left side to use your words better. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it just works. So I'm casually looking down at my notes because there's a whole bunch of stuff in there and I just want to make sure I've got you know some of that right. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Get them out. Absolutely. Uh, and look, you can see I've got all these handwritten notes that I've been collecting for a while. But ultimately, I said about a mentor. Yeah. So this is important. Uh Mentors are important. Well, who that is, probably not so much. What they bring is. Mm -hmm. So if you are a young hunter, like I talked about, you want to go and get yourself an animal because that's that's what hunting is, right? But you're misunderstanding at that point in your hunting life. You just think that's where the action is, but it's not. So if you are someone who... Breaks it down. Break it down. Going hunting, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. If you get close enough and you get your animal, wow, the emotions is it, it just is difficult to explain. Yeah. Sort it of could be their situation. Yeah, but it can get out of control. So if you miss, if you miss your opportunity, you get angry, uh-huh. frustrated. First time I went hunting deer, uh-huh. I drew back at, I was only 20 yards off. 
how could I miss? But I missed by a long way. Those oh, things you took the shot and you missed. Yeah, yeah those right. things reactions are just bull. Uh huh. It flattened itself right down the arrow, went right where I was hoping it would go, but it just miss miss. Yeah. Uh-huh. It had obviously been hunted before, and my bow was a bit noisy and knew ex- what it was. Uh, excuses, yeah. excuses. I missed. Uh-huh. I missed. You missed. And I took the next ten seconds to go cuss word, cuss word, cuss uh-huh. word loudly, as I would too. And I shouldn't have, shouldn't because. Not 15 metres in the other way. There were three more of them who had no clue that I'd just stuffed up. Uh-huh. I could have just held myself together, mate, and had, and had another go. go. But I didn't. And I've, I've taken that with me on every single hunt since. Important learning curve. Well, it is. But see, and that's what, that's what this point is. So if you go hunting and you get that opportunity, your emotions get you. Mm-hmm. You would have heard this thing called buck fever. No. No, yeah, right. So people say... You're out there, you're hunting, and the animal's right there, and you get, it might be a stag, the Yanks call it a buck, whatever, yeah, I don't really yeah, care. Yeah. And you get excited because uh-huh. it's, it might have the biggest rack on it, and you really, and I'm not doing that, but people do. And they call it the buck fever because your emotions run away with you. Yeah. You miss. You, you get target panic. You get shaky because your adrenaline is up, and you can't shoot straight because you're shaky, and you can't see straight because you're excited, and you stuff it up, doesn't matter how close you might be. So mm-hmm. that, that, physiologically, is the same as anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's the same as anger, physiologically, to look at phys- without the emotion part that you see in your face. If you did a scan, there it is. That's what anger looks like. That's what anxiety looks like. So if you can experience that in this way that people called controllable incongruence, so it means that you have this thing going on, but you can see that it's not real, you're not really angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? You're excited. And it's positive. So you get the same physiology but for a different emotion. So if you take that and you have someone with you who knows what it is that's Uh going on, uh they can talk you through that like a psychologist would when you're dealing with anxiety, PTSD. Same idea. And I'm not saying it's treatment. I'm saying they can talk you through the experience of hunting in this way. So if you get mentored, you have that voice of reason, the voice of experience to say, it's like, hey, mate, take a breath. Yeah. Settle down. Pick a spot. Aim at a point. Don't just generalize your shot. All of that stuff that comes across means that you have this thing going on where it's a prime example of you being talked through a panic, talked through stress positively. It doesn't matter with the outcome. It's an opportunity where you have a relationship developed where someone is supporting you to manage your emotion. And for blokes, especially younger fellas coming up wanting to be men, that's really important. Having the example of talking through your reaction sensibly, calmly, getting hold of the right side so you don't say or do something stupid because you lost a control uh-huh. gives you that opportunity to have the left side use its power yeah. and get in there and have that success regardless of the hunting outcome. The success of the hunt would be, this went on, I experienced this, actually it's all right. I didn't do anything stupid. I didn't say anything I shouldn't have. I was excited and, geez, wasn't that exhilarating and I was still able to take the shot because I managed to get control. And you learn how to do it yourself. That's right. So hunting as you go through is less and less and less about the animal and more and more and more about the experience. Mm -hmm. So older hunters or more experienced hunters... I don't care. 
They'll hunt all day and not see a thing, don't care. Younger fellas out there wanting to get it done, disappointed, frustrated, didn't see anything, I'm not hunting you, all those emotions. But if you hunt with a mentor, you get that voice of experience, reason, steadiness, assistance with understanding the experience. That's development. That's guiding. That's actually really useful for fellas, yeah. especially when they're younger, yeah, to have sure. that opportunity to get it all settled in a good way. And you get physically fit, learn a new skill. Hunters are skilled, man. Hunting is definitely a skill. So if you get skilled, you'll learn something. It's great. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make you better. It just makes you someone who can do that. Yeah, it's know. useful. I feel like it'll transfer over into everyday life in, in it does. Oh, a lot of aspects, it actually. Does. Especially patience. Yeah. No one has patience anymore. Oh, no, one ha- no, one can, no one can be bored anymore. No one can sit with their own thoughts anymore. Don't be bored, right? <laughs> Don't be bored. That's a, that's a thing. Except you have to be. If you can't handle your own thinking... That's what I mean by bored. That's right. That's exactly. We what need I mean to have opportunities to be bored. Yeah. Because it gives us time to let our brains do stuff. And we don't because everyone has a fucking uh, computer yeah, in their this. pocket. And, yeah. Check out this. Yeah. And that's what I was saying yeah. about with the attention. Is look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And every every everything that goes on in today's society is all yeah. about grabbing your attention. That's right. And that's why this, as a delivery platform for mental health, yeah, mindfulness, I can, I can development. See growth, better decision-making. So there's a whole bunch of research out there about decision-making. So spending time in natural settings Mm -hmm. gives you an opportunity to recover your executive function. Now, executive function is where your decisions occur, like it's up there. So if if you spend your time, especially, you know, in high-pressure jobs, if you are decision-making this decision, you are in there making difficult decisions all Mm -hmm. the time, you get fatigued. Mm Mm-hmm. Doing something like this is restorative to that. There's evidence for that. It's lots of research. The Japanese are particularly good at that. Mm-hmm. The Japanese. Oh yeah. Why the Japanese? Ah, oh, well, they got lots of urban settings. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. They're good at a lot of things. Yeah, mindfulness <laughs> is one of them. Yeah, yeah. For- forest therapy is another one, but you know. <laughs> forest therapy. Well, look, there's a whole thing out there. It's pretty big, really. Forest therapy. It's kind of like what I'm talking about, but I'm doing without it the shooting. with a sharp pointy stick instead. But yeah, I was about to say, is there like a a vegan friendly version of what you're talking about? And sure, I guess that would be it. Yeah, and and I think it's interesting that you bring up, you know, people who choose to be vegan. I don't, I don't have a positive or a negative about that. That's just their choice to make. That's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever. I think partly. Some of that comes from a disconnection from who we are. Where our food comes from. Yeah. And what society kind of is leading us to be. Mm -hmm. I think that decision makers out there and their influences in particular are probably quite removed from where our food comes from and how we, you know, can benefit from being engaged in that process. Well, there's definitely a disconnect. I mean, there's, there's, you can look it up on YouTube. There's funny videos all the time. Where does our milk come from? And the kids will say it comes from the shop. Uh, That's fucking rubbish. Yeah. My kids, all three of them, they all know that it comes from a fucking cow. But yeah, I mean, yeah, and conceptually, that's that's important. So my kids, they have helped me process deer on the kitchen table. Yeah, 
and it's not it's not terrible. It's actually really educational. It's our food. Yeah. It's literally our food. You know, and the food, there's this thing that I think about sometimes. Okay. Modern society and its telly Mm -hmm. and food TV. Mm -hmm. Food TV has educated us all to make sure we've got restaurant quality meals on the table all the time. That's bull. Mm -hmm. Food's food and it's for sustenance. Sure, it's really nice to have nice food and it's blooming awesome, but it takes away, I think, a little bit of the value of the food and places this other thing on it that's totally conceptual. It doesn't mean anything that the food's nice. Not really. really. It tastes good, sure, but it actually just keeps you alive like the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go and shoot a deer or a pig or harvest carrots or whatever and you did it yourself, it actually has more meaning. So each time we eat deer at my place, there's a story attached to that. There's an experience attached to that. It means more, so we eat less of it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so yeah, I'm not going to waste that deer, man. No, no. I'm not going to have too much out there. We're just because it, it's a denser meat. You eat less of it anyway, uh-huh. but it means more, so I would waste less. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, so we would eat far less meat, not because I'm a crap hunter. <laughs> it's not about that. Let's be honest. Come on. It's actually because I value it more. Because there was such effort attached to it. Yeah, you're not just going to go down to the shop and buy. Uh, just go and get a half a to. kilo of this, would you? No, yeah. no yeah. It's, it's not like that. Oh, I didn't get to eat all of the carrots, or maybe we should have eaten the chicken yesterday. And it goes in the bin or gets out to the dog. I mean, that doesn't happen. No, because I'm not going to waste that. It. I won't have walked ten k's with that deer on my shoulder or whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to do all of that and chuck it in the rubbish. No. Feed it to the animal. No. no. So. It, even though we might go and take out that deer, I'm not going to waste it. And it will mean more. We will eat less of it each sitting. So it will go further. It That has value to me. So it means we waste less. And as a society, that's probably pretty important, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you find much pushback with the, the whole hunting thing? Because, I mean, again, bringing up Ian, when I, when I told mm. my mum... That I was going to hunt, uh, going to hunt Ian. <laughs> when, I, when I told her that I was going to have a chat with him, she was like, "Well, what's he doing?" I told her, and she's like, "Hunting." Mm. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, "Isn't that a bit weird?" And I'm like, "You're you're literally preparing cow for dinner." Yeah. Like, yeah. It's interesting, like. And I, I think that's the thing. So that, that we talked about a disconnect there before. People don't want to take responsibility for the life they're eating. And, and that's okay. Like, I, I get that. But I'm not willing necessarily just to go along with that part. I'm willing to take responsibility mm-hmm. because it means that I've learned more about living. You know, it, it's a total cycle for me. Like, if, yeah. you know, one day something's going to eat me too, you know, whatever. But I think hunting itself is pretty misunderstood. I absolutely believe it. Yeah. After, you know, not having done it myself, yeah. but, you know, starting to get immersed in the whole culture and talking yeah. to people like yourself, I'm, I can definitely understand it. Yeah. Like I said, with my mum, there's mm. a prime example. Yep. You know, I was sitting in the lunchroom. I probably really shouldn't tell you this story, but it's interesting. No, I'll do it. You're going. So sitting in the lunchroom at work a few years ago, and I was eating some Osso Buco made from deer. Delicious. Oh, it's the best, man. So good. 
And I was there with someone I used to work with a while ago, mm-hmm. like proof then. And she said, oh, what are you eating? That smells good. I said, oh, it's dear. Oh, isn't that gamey? Um, no. <laughs> no, if it was not nice to eat, I wouldn't be eating it. Where'd you get it? Uh, out of the paddock. I shot it with my bow. Dropped a bundle. Totally oh, lost a bananas at me about trophy hunting and kids shooting rhinoceroses as their last wish. Oh. That is so totally not related to me. No. As she was eating her ham sandwich. Mm. I thought, oh, well, here we go. I'm digging in. How's your ham? Where'd the pig come from? Who got that one for you? Why is this any different? So just paying a hitman. Yeah, as but we speak. Basically, what it is. <laughs> That's right. So for her, the idea that anyone who could go hunting it must have been about the thrill of shooting an animal and walking yeah. off. That is totally not it. No. For I'm sure, like any cross section of any element of our society, there would be people out there who are like that. Oh, for sure. They'd have to be. Yep. Just like there are people who drive cars like idiots. Yeah. They are a cross-section of society. That's not all drivers. That's some drivers. They still have a license. Mm-hmm. Hey. Mm-hmm. So Which when, is a wonder in itself. Well, but it, the, the comparison is interesting. So they're, sure, there are people out there who are nutters. That's not the majority. That is a select few, and they should be farmed out, sure, yeah. whatever. But that's not what hunting is for me. Hunting is not shooting. It's actually engaging in this activity. So someone who is a hunter, they are organised. Uh-huh. They are planned. They are practiced, they are skilled, they are doing this thing, they're setting aside a block of their time to go and pursue an animal, maybe not even see one, to get food. Just for the chance to get food. The chance. What they're actually doing is investing in their mental health, investing in their physical fitness, investing in their brain function. They do a better job at their job because they're healthy. And you don't have to sit on the floor with your legs crossed real weird meditating like a Buddhist monk. You don't. You might want to, but you don't have to. Yeah. So there's, there's lots. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Cause, no. Because meditation, I found, I found meditation was very beneficial for myself as well. But It is. And so let's talk about that. So what do you know about archery? Um, not a terrible lot. My dad used to do it, but I was, yeah, I was way too young. I can remember him doing it, but I was too young to sort of... Yeah start getting involved yeah. or, or maybe i was just getting involved with it i can remember shooting a couple of times mm. but not a, yeah not a so what enough. are the things that go into archery you know you got a stick you got a string you got a sharp pointy one you got a target you know there's there's things that you kind of basic stuff that most yeah. people would understand everyone's seen robin hood or some version yeah. of that yeah but no one kind of gets the idea until they're doing it how much your brain has to say when you're pulling that string back and trying to aim at something Mm-hmm. And so that's why, as a meditation, it's pretty pretty cool because mm-hmm. it gives you physical feedback, biofeedback on the day. Every shot's a new chance. So when you 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 decide you pick up your bow, it's got a physical sense to it. You pick up an arrow, it's got a physical, unique sense to each one mostly. And when you draw a bow, they all draw differently. They feel different. The mechanics of each one are different. And so you are adjusting your biomechanic yourself to this thing. And so that all takes effort to notice. And noticing what's going on is part of mindfulness. So if you pick up a bow and you go to draw back and aim at a target, you've got to know how to aim. You've got to know how to release. You've got to know how to hold your your, your bow hand so you don't whack your elbow, etc. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a bit of physical stuff there. But you also want to hit the target. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone wants to hit the bullseye. But actually that doesn't matter. 
as long as you're shooting consistently, it doesn't really matter where the arrow goes to start with. Yeah, to start, yes. Yeah. But that's where the intervention of mindfulness is really interesting is because if you draw back and you're holding that bow and you're, you're aiming, your brain is going to try to distract you from that process. Shoot now, shoot now, shoot yeah. now, shoot oh, now. Oh, no, not yet. Now, now, now. now. Uh, yeah. God. And, but there's a whole bunch of physiology and mind stuff that goes on there that is just ripe for the picking mm-hmm. from a psychology point of view to help people do better at all sorts of things. And so when you draw back and you're aiming, getting your brain to do its thing in support of what it is, what you want the outcome to be, well, that takes effort. Mm. It really does. And when you get it right, you know. You know the time you release that arrow, you know before it gets there that it is a great shot. Mm-hmm. You, will, you will hear people say that all the time. And you know if it's terrible. You know, and yet you took the shot anyway. It's weird. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> just, just sorry. Just something I noticed now. The way you you're speaking, like your brain is a different sort of a person or entity to your consciousness. consciousness. Yeah, look at that. Look at you go. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. But it, it's just, it's just. I guess it sounds weird when you hear someone. Actually saying it. So do you know when we're talking? You might be talking to me and I might be talking to you, but the whole time your brain's doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. All the sure. time. So you know we were just talking about you took the shot anyway. Yeah. Whilst I was saying that, I'm trying to think of this guy's name who's in the US, Joel Turner, I think. Joe, Joel. Uh, Turner. Beatboxer? No, no, no. He's an archer. Okay. Well, actually, he's an instructor. He's a, uh, It'll come to me. Yeah, okay. He talks about I'm going to take the shot with control. Or not at all. But that then he's morphed that. He's morphed that thinking into I'm going to take the shot with control no matter what. Yeah, okay. Ah. <laughs> because what he found was people were drawing back, can I take the shot with control or not at all? Oh, I can't take it with control. I'm going to let down and not shoot. Uh-huh. And suddenly that was a pattern. So uh-huh. no matter what changes your perspective. So let's go and... Talk about the language aspect. This is all about that thing we talked about right back at the beginning. Uh-huh. Language is pretty important. If I said, Joe, mate, don't, don't, no matter what, think a chocolate cake. Because yeah, if you do, I know, right? Because <laughs> if you do, you can't not think of it because no, the language absolutely. comes from my mouth. It hits your ears and your brain goes, chocolate cake. I know what that is. Oh, don't think of it. Uh-huh. You can't not do it. So if you take that as an analogy or metaphor even like, and go, if I'm going to think of chocolate cake or try not to think of chocolate cake. I am listening. Yeah. Then you're, you're going to process the language. You can't not do it. Uh-huh. I agree. I'd so that right there, if you can't not boss your brain around about something as simple as that, how are you going to stop a whole bunch of other automatic thinking from occurring? Well, you can't. You can't stop it. If I said don't and you push on it, I'm not going to think of chocolate cake. We immediately think it. of And you reinforce the don't part. Yeah. So you do. Uh-huh. And so that's what happens with people with negative thinking and depression and anxiety. We've got this little thing Get caught in, in a loop, and it and it magnifies. Yeah. So what's what's our brain king of? It's king of making connections, one thing to another. So if you have crap going on in your head, and it's a memory, because that's why it's still there. Yeah. The more you go over it, the stronger the neural connections get to that, and what your brain's going to want to do is link it make a connection to things like it. 
Mm. So you might wear a white shirt with some blue writing on it. The overlap is this is blue too. Your brain doesn't care that it's totally unrelated, but there's a link, colour, yeah. whatever. And so if you've got stuff going on in your brain, it will link all the shit stuff together and suddenly you've got this massive thing going inside your head where you've got a story that's rubbish. And all you've got to do is look at the blue bowl. Oh, and it all comes back. <sighs> so yeah, right. how do I explain that? No, I, Neu- I, I neural, that? Neural connections. So when I talk about well, you said it sounds weird to hear you say that your brain's doing yeah. this thing separate to your will. Yeah. Happens all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we don't even notice. And that's why mindfulness is important because mindfulness gives you that opportunity to notice that. Yeah. That's yeah. what you want from mindfulness. It's not to be mindful and not move when you don't have to, but it's about saying, oh, I have actually had a thought and I've noticed that. Uh-huh. It's okay to have a thought. Yeah. I'm not going to fight the thinking. If I ask you to push on that wall, it's the same thing. You cannot push that wall down. But if you fight with your thinking, that's what you're doing. You're pushing on this thing that you never win against. And that's why having the opportunity to have your physiology engaged, the right side of your brain engaged, doing the, the active hunting part, letting the left side do its thing, it's very mindful. It gives you the opportunity to go, oh, I've noticed that I was thinking about that argument I had with my missus the other day instead of paying attention, and there goes the deer gives you that chance to notice that you've had the thought. And that's when you can deal with it. You can manage it. Ah, that's something that I can't fix because it's done. Yeah. Here it is. What am I doing now? What do I like to do? What am I good at doing? What's going to take me closer to what I want in the long run? And all of that comes together when you do this thing. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. So chocolate cake language. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, you're going to do it. It's about neural connections. Yeah. Do you know, do you ever play a sport or go to school in winter? Yeah, for sure. Yeah? Um, most places in town in Toowoomba have got a, they've got ovals. Mm. You would have seen early morning in the winter one of the ovals. How do you know someone's walked across there early in the morning? Obviously, you can see the full surface. Yeah, because it's shifted the dew, right? Yeah. Or the frost even sometimes yeah. in town. So someone's walked across there, you can see it. What happens in midday? Can you still see those steps? No. Why not? It's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah. Why? Because it's all dried up. Yeah. So someone walking on there shifted the angle of the water, of the leaves, the grass you know, leaves, Yeah. and you can see it. That's like one iteration of something not very important. If someone walked that same path, stood in the same spots 50 times a day for five years, the grass would be gone. <laughs> how do you know it's there? Does it matter if the sun's out? You probably yeah, follow it in the dark. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, your brain does the same thing. Uh-huh. You do something for the first time, sketchy connection. Neurological pathway starts getting... But if you revisit it, that's why it takes time to develop skill because uh-huh. you have to revisit it and develop the neural connection and the strength in them. Um, fluency, uh-huh. more or less, yep, yep. of that memory, yep. the better and better and better you get at it, the more you revisit it. But that's double-edged because if it's stuff you don't want and you're thinking about stuff you don't want a lot, that pathway is pretty entrenched. That's why when you have difficult behaviour in someone, all of us, <laughs> yeah. and we want to move it on, it's so difficult to break that habit because it's this thing. So mindfulness gives you that opportunity to say, well, actually I've noticed that I've been thinking about that stuff. I can redirect that. So if you have that pathway on that paddock out there where you've seen, how do you make it grow back? Stop using it. 
walk somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but that's easy words to say if it's about your mental health or your, your disposition or your, you know, your habits. Like it's hard to not walk in the same pathway and it's hard for your brain not to just be as efficient as possible. Because that's what it, it wants. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So that's a big topic. Yeah. But from a mental health perspective, that's where the action is. And so when you overlay that issue with this activity, you can see that de- definitely there's benefits uh-huh. to providing someone the opportunity to manage anxiety, to manage depression, to manage PTSD, engaging their brain meaningfully, learning something new, which is really good for our brains anyway, and having the opportunity for mentored emotional experience. And live action. Yeah. It all that together. Here and now is what I mean. Correct. And that's that thing that I said about controllable and congruence. We we want to have an experience that's not dangerous. It gives us this opportunity to see that actually we can manage. So I also talked before about how when we do this thing called hunting, we have a better social development Uh because it actually encourages us to bond in here, in our brain, with the people we're hunting with. Because, you know, we're out doing something physically together. We're working towards a common goal. The right side of our brain is taking notice of all of that. It means that we're going to be more empathic, so take care of the others. And hunting, historically, traditionally, is about taking care of our group. Mm. We're not hunting out there just to go and get something. We're actually going to feed everybody. And so in the US, there's been a a bit of work with um, the violent offenders and engaging those people in traditional ways of living. So North American Indians, for example, taking on the idea that if you spend time working and living as part of a tribe and you are given our task that has meaning, those people perform better. They recover better. Mm. So if they're working towards the common goal of a small community, a small group, their family group or their immediate extended family, it doesn't have to be family per se. In this example, it's not. They're workers. They perform better. They have better regulation. Their body biochemistry has better readings after a period of time of living in this environment where they are together out harvesting their food, working together to get the firewood for the winter. I can absolutely understand that because everyone everyone feels like they've got a purpose. And number one reason people leave their job is because they feel like they're fucking not getting anywhere, not doing anything. It's about connection. Yeah. If you are meaningfully connected to others, you fare better. So hold that thought. Think back. Discharge from the army, disconnection. Uh-huh. That's a total gut-wrenching arrangement. You are pulling out your connection yeah. to others. Everyone that you've known <laughs> for the last, what was it, four years? Yeah, well, as long as you like. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. So if you lose your connections, you are essentially isolated. Yeah. And you don't have that basic thing of people who are connected to others feel better, fare better, work better, are happier, better, 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 better are more able to deal with adversity because there's depth to their support. Uh, so discharge from the military takes away that all overnight. Them. Yeah. Unless you're fortunate and like you, you were. S- step into connection. Something else, yes. Develop it before you get out. Yeah. That's yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. That worked for me. But it would work for others. So you can kind of see if that's a big loop and a very circuitous pathway that we've just ranged mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm get to the point where actually, for me, this is about developing good connections with others through this activity. 
Yeah. And if, if you're doing that, the other stuff takes care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I actually know someone that just um, left the army mm. and he he didn't explain it like that, like you did yourself, but um, he was actually describing something very, very similar. He was lucky that um, he found someone, which is now his wife, mm. um, pretty quickly, but those first few weeks he was not not, not faring real well. No, it's hard. And, like, he actually tried to get back in mm. pretty much immediately, like, within a couple of months at yep. least, at most, sorry. It, well, it feels like a mistake. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, he actually said that. He actually said, I think I've made a mistake. I, I think I want to go back in. Yeah. Do you know, there's stuff about the military that everyone will tell you suck. There are things that definitely Basic suck. Training. No, actually, that, it's quite enjoyable for most of us. Yeah, okay. Some people really don't take it to it very well, but I quite enjoyed Kapook, it was uh-huh. entertaining, uh-huh. mostly. And so, so the guy that I know, he was a uh, an infantryman. Yeah, and um, he said the his most memorable, definitely not the best, yeah. but most memorable thing that um, training wise that they done. So they went up to the Northern Territory and they dug holes for three days. Yep, just to get them used to the heat and the yep. lack of sleep and all the rest of it. Mm. That's all they done is dig the hole. And you know what's going on? You know how we talked about um, giving your brain the opportunity to do its thing? Yeah, there's <laughs> nothing going on when you're digging a hole. Well, well that's not true. There, there is. And he may say that that's what's going on. And if he sat and thought, he would also tell you interesting things that occurred between him and the others. For sure. All of that time. For sure. So it's not all bad. They would be talking so much shit. Absolutely. And, all the rest of it and, and he'd be thinking about what he'd done last you know, Dealing with the adversity in this right, yeah. very positive way. And the army wants you to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You know, but there are things about it that are very positive. The military gives you an opportunity to be different to mm-hmm. how you were before you enlisted. And they definitely give you lots of training, lots of opportunity to become skilled at what it is that you are enlisted for they're getting better at giving you support to do that sort of stuff and Mm -hmm. but the thing that most of us come away with is definitely a sense of connection to the others i miss the pt like the physical training was just great don't get that out here you have to pay for it yourself or go and do it on your own (laughs) (laughs) which i still do and i still enjoy but i think Having a group of mates that you feel definitely close to, that you can rely on and trust, all of that, it is very meaningful. And then there's stuff that just gets in the way. Yeah. You know, could talk about all of those things. And I think, you know, given the current climate with the military and the newspapers and all that sort of stuff, yeah, people really shouldn't just jump to too many conclusions. I don't think so either. No. Definitely not. And like we talked about, cross-section of... Any population, you're going to have X, Y, and Z go on no matter what and who. It's not reflective of everybody. There are a few hoons out there driving shitty cars in a shitty manner, Mm -hmm. but they still have licenses, Mm -hmm. like the rest of us. Not everyone drives like that. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's a small number. So, Mm. um, PTSD. PTSD. Yep. What is it? Uh, Well... 
Everyone knows it as post-traumatic stress syndrome. What the fuck does that mean? All right. Do you remember a little while ago there was a push-up challenge out there for soldiers and others who were raising awareness for veteran suicide? It was 22 push-ups for 22 suicides per day. I do. I did that because mm-hmm. I was so gracefully <laughs> uh, nominated. nominated by yeah. someone who I actually have a lot of respect for. Uh-huh. And I was someone who would never do that. That's just some dumb Facebook thing I'm doing that. Yeah. But I took it as an opportunity to provide some information. So if you're interested, go look for it. It's out there. There's... I will. I'll be looking. There's about 16 of the videos actually have talking. Some of them don't. Okay. So I incorporated the archery into that as a means of helping me get my words together uh-huh. in the using my strategy. Um, PTSD is a cluster of symptoms mm-hmm. that most people over their lifetime could experience. Whether you are experiencing those symptoms to a point where you are technically diagnosable or not, who knows? It's a post, post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's a, it's, a, it's a reaction to stress. So the way that I understand it, and I think it might be the way that most people in my situation understand it, is that it's something that happened past is affecting you now in day-to-day life. Can do, absolutely. So yep. that's pretty much this, the the long and the short of it. Yeah. Um, so as far as I know. Yeah. As far, and, and like I said, probably generally. Yeah. As many people as you can uh, and you can find, mm-hmm. that's as many reactions there are to yeah. PTSD. Sure, yeah. there is a cluster of symptoms that are consistent, yeah. but everyone's reactions and understanding of it for themselves is different. So what affects me might not affect you. Because we are all coming at it from a different angle. Yeah. And what should affect somebody might not. Because, you know, what should mean anyway. Yeah. And this yeah. is where the language, again, comes back yeah. into it. If I say sit here and say, well, that should should affect you, and you go, nah, nah, it's all right. And genuinely that's true. That's my perception, not yours. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so people with PTSD, diagnosed PTSD, complex PTSD, all of these symptoms that we're talking about, It's an anxiety-based structure in there. So if you are deployed in with the military, and well, that's my experience. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A military deployment isn't a couple of days. It's months, Mm -hmm. six months, four months, nine months, whatever. It's a long time. And if you are willingly saying yes to being exposed to risk, Mm -hmm. twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week for the nine months you're away. What do you think that's like for your little pathway across the paddock out there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so your brain and your body habituate to this new level of stress. Mm-hmm. So you are switched on, and I mean switched on, because you can't walk to your vehicle without taking a, having a risk. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to take you. Something's going to go on. You can't turn your back on this. You can't not look out. You can't keep your eyes peeled and your ears open for every single sound and nuance that you are developing while you're in country, mm-hmm. responding to each and every single risk. And if you're doing that every day, it's a big drain. So you actually change your brain structure while you're there, while you're doing that. There are things getting wired and hardwired. And then your brain and your little 
hormones, they all get together and they have a relationship while you're away and they have this offspring called PTSD. (laughs) So it does stuff. It changes the pathways and your responses and your perceptions of things. And so, you know, if you are used to walking around looking at, you know, at every single little thing for risk mm-hmm. when you come home where that doesn't apply but you're still wired that way, mm-hmm. it's difficult. How quickly does that happen? The, how how the, long's a piece of string? Yeah, right. <laughs> right yeah. So pre-deployment phase might be a couple of weeks. You are already gearing. You are already changing. You're already starting this. You are processing the information. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to adapt. Everyone wants to perform well. They are going to be... Because that's what we do. It well, is. That's we, what our brains do. We try to. We try to. We do. Yeah. So, like I said before, our brain is king of making connections. Yeah. It's also really good and really shit <laughs> at avoiding trouble. Yeah. It wants to keep us safe. So, it, it will do everything to keep you safe. Uh-huh. It will cross every bridge as soon as it can possibly get it sorted to be as efficient and as safe as possible. And it will want to avoid shit that will bring you bad news. Uh-huh. So, when you put it all together... If you're deployed and your brain is switched on and you are exposed to genuine risk to your life, limb or person or your friends or your equipment or whatever every single day for ages, that will change your neurological functioning and it will have an impact. You've got adrenaline and cortisol and all these hormones kicking around in there doing stuff to you every single day. It puts huge amounts... All of the time. All of the time. Yeah. Huge amounts of stress on your physiology. Your heart gets tired. Your, Your lungs get tired. Your brain gets tired. You are tired, but you physically tired because you're not sleeping much either uh-huh. and when you are asleep you're not resting well so when you put all of that together you are one switched on person uh-huh. for a long period what are, what is what do they do to sort of combat against that is there anything in field or deal with it later or not even all of those things holy jesus yeah so i don't want to bad mouth the military I won't do that. I don't, I don't want to do that either. Because th- we have a responsibility. If you agree to be a soldier, for instance. I'm all about personal responsibility. You are also agreeing, even though you don't know yet, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. The military needs to be able to rely on you to do your job. Yeah, for sure. And if you knew ahead of time the consequences, you wouldn't get many endless days, mate. I don't think you would, know. That's why young people get in there because mm-hmm. they're stupid. No, that's not true because they don't it know. It is true. No, yes, well, it it's is. because they don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. which makes you stupid. Yeah. When you were 18, you can't say you weren't stupid. You fucking went to the army. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't go until I was 21, so I was oh. even more stupid, right? Oh. I was a slow learner. Hey? Yeah, apparently. So, that's <laughs> all good. When I was 18, I was a fucking idiot. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. And so you can made see. Made stupid comments, made stupid decisions, all, well, all of the above. You're pretty normal. Yeah. But that's why that mentor relationship going hunting is actually pretty important. Ah, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> so downtime is important. Yes. Being supported is important. Working with a consistent team who've got your back is important. Uh-huh. Because that it's would not, be a big break. Actually. It's not all bad. Those Those environments are filled with people who are Good, good people, uh-huh. and they are, they are are around you. It's difficult though because everyone's reactions to stress is you know unique, different. There's a there's a woman I serve with, mm-hmm. Rachel. Rachel, she did a TED talk a little while ago. Really? Yeah, Rachel Ranton. Go look it up, everyone. 
okay. It's worth it. Sit with it. <laughs> Sit with it. Because she talks about how prior to stepping off on patrol, it's interesting to watch everyone's reactions. And it really is. Yeah. Because everyone, especially for their first one, they don't know what they're going to be like if shit goes bad. Yeah. They don't know if they're going to do the do proper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't. No. But, but you do because your training works. And before I said I don't want to badmouth the military, they train well. Yeah. And you will do the right thing and you will do all of that perfectly. And sometimes it's not enough. So having the experiences of risk to yourself, to others, every day, 24 hours a day, for months at a time, does have an impact on everybody. Some people have a higher tolerance and are more resilient to that and hardly notice any difference. How do you fare? Okay. 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 I wouldn't say great. Not terrible. Because you didn't have your psychology training. Oh, no, no. And that wouldn't have helped anyway. No. No. It wouldn't have helped you recognise some some shit going on in your own head or... Oh, look, it may have. May have. It's all speculation for me. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have that. And I didn't pursue psychology because of that. I was actually always going to do that too. Yeah. I actually did get into uni to do psychology. I just said no instead. (laughs) (laughs) you're you're 21. Well, that and I felt like it wasn't fair to feel like I could go and be, you know, some sort of helping person when I didn't really know shit. What you were doing anyway. About anything. So now I went and did all this other stuff first and I feel like some of that has good overlap for me. Uh-huh. That's my, that was my take on it. It, it doesn't apply to everybody. That's uh-huh. okay. Um, I can be quite honest about it. I didn't do terribly okay. with my reactions to deployment. I did okay. And I have with me a bunch of those symptoms. Some of that cluster have followed me around for a fair bit. And I think these days, more than ever, I'm better at that because I'm more mindful of it. I know what it is. I can identify it and I have strategies that work for me. Yeah. And I think in the long run, it'll be, it'll, it'll eventually settle right down. So not one single day would go past for most soldiers who have deployed where they don't have some recall of stuff. It's what you do yeah. that, that matters. Yeah. How you respond to that, what you do really matters. Not what you think, not what other people say. It's what you do. So lots of dudes drink. Yeah. Because they don't like the thinking. Yeah. So let's talk about this. This little triangle I have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've got thoughts, feelings, and actions. Yep. So we have thoughts and we've established chocolate cake. Can't not do it. You're going to have thoughts, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> thoughts generally also influence our feelings. So if you are a person and you know anyone, you are going to have emotion. Yes. And you are not in control of that either. Of your emotion? No. No. You're going to have them. Happens automatically. You're going to have them. Make room to have them. Absolutely. Good ones, bad ones, ugly ones, indifferent ones. If you know anyone, they will disappoint you. They will make you angry. They will make you laugh. At some stage. All of those associated emotions come with that. And you can't not have it. It's being human. Mm. But people try to make them go away. Mm. And they do that by numbing it, Um, avoiding it, doing things that make it worse. 
I've noticed a lot of uh, anger. Anger would be a big one. Everyone's like, no, don't be angry all the time. It's okay to be angry. Yeah. Anger gets shit done, man. Good or bad. But it's okay to have anger. We must have anger because we can't not have it. So why fight about it? It's just what what you you do do with it. When you're angry. It's what you do that matters. And so we talked about that before, about you ever said anything stupid when you're angry? Of course you have. Because the right side, it is king at that point. Yeah. You have no control over that unless you develop strategy to get control back. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. See overlap. Uh-huh. So if you think about it, you've got thoughts, feelings, and the other point of the triangle is actions, what you do. Most people do stuff that makes the thoughts and feelings temporarily go away. I don't want to be thinking about that. I don't want to be feeling like this, so I'm going to do that. And for some people, they get smashed. They get really drunk. Uh-huh. They might have... Numb the pain. Yeah, they do whatever it is that makes it go away. But what comes with the consequences of living like that is more thoughts and more emotions that you don't like. It actually doesn't work. No. It works immediately, but in the long run, it doesn't. It's terrible. Yeah, so what do you want in the long run? That's the question, and how do you get close to that? Regardless of the thinking or the feeling, if you do what works, if you do the do part that takes you closer to the long run, that works. It helps the thoughts and helps the feelings go in a direction that is more suitable to what you think is important for you. It's easy words to say. Mm. But if you spend time working out what's important to you, your values, and you take steps every single day, no matter how small it is, to work closer to that, your thinking changes. Your emotions settle. You get more stability. And it's encouraging to do more of the good stuff. And that's so, where hunting comes in. That's that overlap I was talking about. It is. You know, you go hunting and all of those, maybe not shooting the stick necessarily, but Doesn't everything matter. that It could be bushwalking. It. it could yeah. be playing golf. Yeah. I don't care. It, the fact is that you're doing something that gives you the yeah, opportunity yeah, golf. Golf. to see your thinking. That's the vegan option. No, look at that. A <laughs> little bit of violence, you know, but not too bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you can kind of see when you put it all together like that. Yeah. When people experience PTSD, and especially soldiers, this is not a negative. This is just a reality. Mm-hmm. It's You'll hear it. If you go looking in the internet there and you look for people who are unhappy about being a soldier before and how people who haven't had military experience don't understand, they don't get it, well, they're never going to get it. They're never going to get your experience. So if you go looking for a psychologist who gets your experience, where you're automatically setting yourself up for a very narrow field of people who do get it, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they don't have to get it. What you have to understand is that by taking that approach, you are putting a barrier to your own getting better. You need someone who doesn't necessarily understand what you've been through. You need someone who is expert at how to get you to where you need to be. Yeah, sure. So yeah. heaps of guys I was, I've worked with, I've heard them say it. I'll go talk to Andrew because he's seen both sides. Doesn't make a difference. No. I can, I can get it. That was ages ago though. Well, it doesn't matter. It, no, could, no. it could actually be a barrier that yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's not. But neither does it make a difference if you don't get it to me. I think that if you are saying to someone, I've got PTSD related to my military experience, you're not a soldier. You're that psychology student from high school uh-huh. who went to uni and now is helping people. They're actually really good at what they do. 
Uh-huh. Give them the time of day. They will help you if you are ready for it. They don't have to understand your experience necessarily. You have to take, pick up what it is that you need to do to be around this thing, and they are expert at that. It's hard though. We talked about therapeutic rapport back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It is definitely easier to build rapport with someone who speaks your lingo. Yeah. If you yeah, had two sure. soldiers in here talking about stuff, we would be using things language-wise I wouldn't understand that don't it. apply. I wouldn't understand it. Like I said, my, yeah. my, my, the guy I know that's recently come out, um, he, he can have whole conversations with me where I have no idea what he's no talking clue. about. And yet he's probably speaking as plain as he can. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I can do the same. Like I've, I, I don't have any military background. I've been, I was rig hand. And I could I could rattle on about shit and absolutely have a fucking clue. And that, but that's and that's true across absolutely all professions, uh-huh. all experiences of work, whatever. In this case, I think it's a mistake, and part of the symptomology, I guess, to say you don't understand what it's like mm-hmm. to be at such risk. It might be true, but that's it's true. Definitely, but that's okay. Yeah, it doesn't mean to say I can't get it. So, and you can't help. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, and this is where the science again is actually pretty important, especially about our brain. So, most of us have these things inside our head, brain called mirror neurons, and they are things that help us understand another's perspective and experience. So it's like putting yourself in someone else's shoes, to use a phrase, you know, walk a mile, mm-hmm. to help you understand. So whenever we speak to someone who is, you know, disclosing information that is outside of our experience, no matter what it is, we do have a certain ability to catch on to what that might be like. We're not stupid. Mm-hmm. Our brain works really well and mirror neurons help us get perspective. So... But that's also part of the issue with someone who has PTSD. They don't want to talk about it because it's difficult. Mm-hmm. They get all fired up. The brain does stuff and they suddenly feel like they're experiencing the same thing over. They might have that common term of flashback or feeling, and I think the popular term at the moment is triggered by yeah. the content. Yeah. The content sometimes is actually really difficult and it's hard to talk about and you don't want to say because it's embarrassing or difficult or you might feel bad or uh-huh. whatever. Uh-huh. So there's lots of barriers to successful treatment, but it is treatable. It is treatable. It's just really difficult. Yeah. Is that a, is that a big barrier? Like people just don't think anyone can fix them? Yes. And it's interesting that I hear that you say fix, because fix is what gets used, the terms, right? It's not right, though. Even though, even now, I'm just thinking about it. It's well, not right. They're not broken. No. They don't need fixing. No, <laughs> no yeah. But that's, but that's how people, mm. us, all of us, that's how we think about stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that thing about language, right? So people with PTSD, they are not broken people. They are people who are definitely reacting to something that most people would definitely react to. Yes. And in some cases, they're doing a darn fine job of getting through it. Uh Some cases, it's not so clear. So it's not that people need fixing. It's more that people need assistance just to help 
get their brain back in order and their memories back in order and their reactions to those things adapted. Yeah, it's difficult. Not undoable. Definitely doable. Yeah. It can take time. That's why you study for it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you give people – you have to invest. Mm. You've got to give people time. Mm. So, you know, Build we talk – that relationship. That yeah. So, you know, we talk about hunting and, you know, oh, let's just go hunting. Well, it's not like that. It's actually – it's a journey. You are making a commitment and it's the same thing. If you would like to be someone who has PTSD in your history and get it to the point where it's not affecting you so much every single day, it takes effort. Mm-hmm. Good for effort. God, if you're in the military, you're good for effort. <laughs> yeah. Mm. There's a lot to say about that, though. But I think well, I probably should should put a caveat out there. I'm just one dude mm-hmm. with some experiences and some education about this topic. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Just don't be the damn cat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There are people out there who may disagree with some of the things that I've said, and that's okay. I'm not too bothered about that. They can disagree. I'm not here saying this is the solution for everybody or this is the cut and dried explanation. Yeah, uh, it's definitely uh, not like that. Uh-huh. It's f- way more fluid. Yeah. There is another element to that. You, you talked about what gets in the way, you know, what, what yeah, might yeah. stop people from seeking assistance and what does the army do about Supporting Uh people. Well, there is one thing that can definitely be done by every single person. And that is what may or may not cause PTSD should never be up for discussion. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because if someone someone has symptoms consistent with a diagnosis, you can't fake that. And it's not about that. If, if you have experiences or you be deployed and you come home and you have symptoms consistent with PTSD, if I hear anyone saying you should or you shouldn't have PTSD, you better back up. Yeah. Because you sound like an ignore. Yeah. <laughs> Put it nicely. Yeah. So that's actually a real thing. So if you are deployed with a bunch of people, you have nothing really going on that probably for you know most people's eye – could lead to PTSD, and you're, you come and you're you, away to, from your family. Well, you're away, from, but you are switched on for the nine months you're away, the ten months you're away, the six months you're away, and you are willing to accept the risk. You are exposed every day. You are at elevated stress levels for a yeah. lengthy period. Of, you are exposed to stress, and remember, it's post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If anyone in your group or immediate vicinity gets injured, that's traumatic. Could have happened to you. You were there. You were already wired for it. You were agreeable to have it. You just didn't actually get it. So that means, do you legitimately then say that you've got PTSD from non, you know, for all intents and purposes? Because nothing happened to me. Yeah, except that you've got the symptoms legitimately. Yeah. But what happens then is that people around you who go, oh, it's a bit soft in the hand, that guy, you're part of the problem. So that's a big thing, being soft in the head, like you put it. That happens with all mental illnesses. That's right. Fuck so all of them. Absolutely. So, and that's, it actually really is important. So if someone says you haven't had anything that causes this thing, they don't know what they're talking about. No. no. So if you're that person, if that if they're saying that to you, how then do you get assistance without 
buying into an argument about the legitimacy of your claim. Especially if it's someone that you respect that is saying that to you. Yeah. So real fucking if you do go looking for those videos of mine, mm-hmm. <laughs> number 10. Yeah. Number 10 is the one where I put it all out there. Yeah, okay. It's a convoluted roundabout way of explaining it, but I think I do a good job of it. Yeah, okay. I'll be watching them. And, Absolutely. And it's off the cuff. Uh-huh. No, no, that's the best way to do it. Nothing written down. That's the best way. <laughs> I mean, you bought pages and pages. And I think you've looked at them. What, well, I was really just looking times. for that one phrase too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you get more You get more meaning, whether whether you stumble your words or whatever. Yeah. It, it's all raw, I feel. It's all raw. It's not fucking perfect, trimmed. Uh, and it shouldn't be. No. Yeah. No. And it has more meaning. Yes. And sure, there's a there's a time and place for getting it right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Delivery is important. But but for that topic in particular, I would encourage anyone who has anything to say about it, go watch it. It's it might be thirteen minutes, so it's a Mm. bit of a drag, but you know, I do some shooting while I'm in there. (laughs) Check my form. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) Breaking arrows, that sort of shit. (laughs) But I, I think in the end, the takeaway for army in particular related PTSD stuff is that if there's anyone out there anywhere that has had service that involves those sort of circumstances, you have to remember that it is treatable, it is fixable, it is changeable, it is something that you can do something about and it's not easy uh-huh. but you can. And it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. Uh-huh. Like my life, having picked up the bow and gone back to archery is better uh-huh. as a consequence to that. Directly related, doesn't, I don't care what anyone says. Had I not have found that strategy for me, I probably would be unhappy all the days. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, so anyway, what else you got there? What else are we going to say? Um, so I'm running out of time on my uh, memory card. It's truth. So <laughs> what do you do for, for physical fitness? Um, look, I'm a hit and miss sort of dude these days. I, I do some. I don't do some. I do circuits that of my own design. I don't have any equipment. Yeah. I don't lift weights, never have. You don't I'm a, I'm, equipment. A, I'm a body weight junkie. Yeah. So heaves, squats, yeah. dips, yeah. push-ups. I do a bit of running. Dips are hard, man. Yeah, well, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a circuit, right? So okay. try it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will, absolutely. <laughs> Start off easy. Yeah. So I call it the minute circuit or the two-minute circuit. Mm-hmm. And... It starts good and ends bad. Mm-hmm. So go and give yourself three overgrasped heaves, like, you know, hands over the bar, mm-hmm. full, full extension heaves, hop off, move to a spot where you can do squats and do 10 squats and move straight over to some push-ups, move to some abs, move to some dips. That'll take you to about two minutes if you're mm-hmm. not too slick. Give yourself 20 seconds. Go back. Yeah, go again, that's my sort of work. Yeah. Go again and go again. And look, so I got to a point because I've got the Spartan on this weekend. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's all right. Yeah. It's, it's talked up a bit. The obstacles aren't that bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's all right. But I've, I've always wanted to do one. Oh, I should come and do it. It's great. Yeah, I should. I really should. I was doing a minute circuit before the last one, which was in 2018. And that was five heaves, 10 squats, uh-huh. and then 10 dips only in the minute. Uh-huh. And I went for 80 minutes. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trashed. <laughs> I, bet. 
I bet. <laughs> totally trashed. But when I went off to do this button, it was a piece of cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm do, I, I do a bit of running. I don't mind trail running as well. Um, I try not to do too much running, but. How far you run? Oh, 20, 25. I've got the Gold Coast 30 the following weekend. So yeah, nice. doing the Spartan this weekend, which is half marathon distance and then off to the Gold Coast 30. But I wouldn't normally do so much running. Yeah, okay. I just haven't done running for a while, so I'm just doing a bit now to yeah. get my legs back. Yeah, But it all comes back when you're walking the hills, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely, I don't know if I could run 25 kilometres straight uh, up. I work to it. Yeah, definitely I am. Um, yeah, so I have a comp on at my gym this weekend. Um, it's my first one. I'm yep. very excited about it. Yay. I'm hopefully going to beat everyone there. <laughs> Get into it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, thank you very much for coming on. Um, where can we find you? Facebook, Instagram? Oh, look, I have all of those things. I'm just not super with yep. it. Okay. <laughs> I'll edit that bit out then. Yeah, no, that's all right. I've, I've got... You got a YouTube channel? I kind of do, but I haven't looked at it for a bit. Are your videos on the YouTube channel? Some of them. Some of them? Yeah. Most of them are on Facey though. Yeah, okay. And I've put them out for public consumption, not just private. So. Oh, righto. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, so if you if you wanted to look on Facebook, I think if you'd put, put in like something like PDSD Archery, something like that, it'll come up. I don't know. No idea. Have a look. I'm, we'll sure, I'm sure you can put that in. Yeah. Ah. Google it, fuck yous. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, mate. I appreciate no, it. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Well done. Thanks. All right. Let me end this. That was intense. An hour and 40 rainfall.